0: Please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, continuing on in our exposition of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13, we will be looking at verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Please join with me in prayer. Lord God Almighty, we again come before Thee, O God. We thank Thee for this opportunity to hear Thy Word preached. We thank Thee for the means of grace that we have had so far on this Lord's Day. We thank Thee for the feast that has begun, the reading of Thy Word, the singing of Thy Word, the singing of praises unto Thee, the prayers, the teaching. O God, we pray that it would do us well, that Holy Spirit, Thou wouldst work it in our hearts that might be in our hearts our hands our heads all of it O oh god that we would live unto thee lord we thank thee for this opportunity to preach and to hear thy word preached prayer oh god that would help me to accurately preach thy word and help us all to hear it with faith with understanding that would increase our love to thee O oh god Lord, we are dependent on thy spirit to instruct, to fortify, to strengthen. We look to Thee alone, O God. Thou'st be glorified in and through us. This sermon would help us in that, O God. Instruct us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Let's read our text. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless it. Mm. Dear congregation, when we look around the world, the world around us, our own country, the countries around us, what do we see as the greatest need? Is it social progress? Is it moral reform? Ethical purification? These are needs, no doubt. No doubt. But if we see any one of these as the greatest need... We have not looked deep enough. Congregation, the root is rotten. The root is rotten. The greatest need of the dying world around us is its need for Christ Jesus. Of regeneration through his Holy Spirit. Salvation and redemption by his bloody atonement. His bloody sacrifice on the cross. The world needs the gospel and ultimately Nothing else. Nothing else but the gospel. If the root is healthy, then the tree will be healthy. And if the tree is healthy, the fruit will be good. The root must be healed. The root must be healed. And this can only be done through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why Paul said, in a context, and often many ways worse than ours, in Romans 1:16, "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. as the world's greatest need, we see true, spiritual, spirit-wrought, Christ-centered, gospel-founded revival. That's the world's greatest need." So then where do we begin? Where do we begin if we wish to see this revival take place? Well, in both our passage last week and the one before us this Lord's Day, we see our Lord's emphasis on what? On the home, on the family, which is the foundational and essential unit of human society. Get the family right, and the society shall follow. Get the family wrong, and the society shall be wrong. Congregation. If we wish to see the world one for Christ, for souls to be brought into the kingdom, and through this, for Western society, for the United States of America to be turned from its headlong plunge into rebellious destruction, then we must begin here, the family unit. Our enemies are going there to the family unit, aren't they? Satan always begins there. And those who hate God always begin there. This is not to say that we do nothing else but go around and preach the gospel. That's not to say that. That we do not share the gospel in the highways and the byways, in the workplace, at the store. And we do that, but we don't stand up and fight for social change, for fair elections, for just lawmaking. We should do that also. And I bless God and thank God that there are men and women all over this country and in Canada and other places in the West that are standing up and doing Just that. However, all this must come from a heart as Christians set on the gospel and longing to see spirit-worked revival flowing from the proclamation of the gospel. We have both. It's not one or the other. It's not stand up for what is right in society and disregard the gospel, nor is it only focus on the gospel, quote-unquote, and never wish to see its application to society. Therefore, dearly beloved, we must begin in the home We must bring our families to Christ in prayer and gospel reckoning every day. We must bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear. Bring them face to face with it every single day. If we hope to see the revival that we so long for, we have a simple program given to us by God through which we shall see it come to pass. What is it? Rise every morning. Rise every morning. Cry out to God for grace and strength to live as his child in the world. Give yourself to diligent, daily reading of his word. Honor God and all the places through his providence, the callings and the stations that he has placed you in. If you're married, pray for, love, and serve your spouse. If you have children, pray for, love, lead, and instruct them. If you are unmarried, prepare yourself the best you can. Ask the Lord to bring someone into your life, marry them, and then raise children with them. Lastly, and this binds the whole together. Lastly, diligently attend, serve, and love your church family. If we do this, dear congregation, we shall see the gospel change the world. But if we neglect the family, the family will be taken from us as our enemy is trying to do before our eyes right now. And we shall see nothing take place, nothing change. If we read the scriptures, if we read them cover to cover, if we read history, what do we see? We see that God's regular, that's, that is his normative means of adding to his church, of building his kingdom, is through Christian families. That's how he normatively does it. They are, as Richard Baxter said, little churches. Out of these little churches, bonded to Christ's universal church, Christians go forth to proclaim the gospel to the lost, who, by God's supernatural power, are converted, and they go on to either start or reform their families, their own little churches. And so, the wonderful, gracious pattern, the wonderful, gracious means through which God establishes his kingdom here on earth continues and propagates and promulgates. Regularly, the covenant God builds his covenant kingdom through his covenant people in what? Covenant families. Therefore, let us build covenant families. Let us continually, daily bring our families to Christ. In our text, let us notice three things. First, bringing children to Christ. Bringing children to Christ. Secondly, deterring children from Christ. Deterring children from Christ. And third, coming to Christ as children. Coming to Christ as children. So first, bringing children to Christ. Secondly, deterring children from Christ And third, coming to Christ as children. First, bringing children to Christ. In our passage, we read that from the crowds, because there's crowds gathered around Jesus, as is common, parents begin bringing young children to Jesus that he should touch them. That is, touch them. That is, lay his hands upon them, pray for them, bless them. We see that he prayed for them in the parallel passage in Matthew 19, verse 12. Their congregation, children are God's gift to us. God's gift to us. Husbands and wives, men and women, are used of God as the initial means through which a child is created, providing the initial material from which they are formed. That being said, man cannot and does not create children, no one makes a child. It is God alone who carefully fashions children in the womb. It is God alone who gives the increase. It is God alone who creates life. It is He who creates and places the soul into the body of the child in the womb. As the psalmist says in Psalm 127, verse 3, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. They are His gift, His good gift. The first time a child was ever conceived on planet Earth. Dear congregation, the mother, whose name was Eve, named the child Cain. Cain means gotten, gotten. And with thanksgiving and worship, Eve said this, I have gotten a man from Jehovah, Genesis 4.1. She recognized that she did not create the child, but that God had given the child to her, mercifully, graciously. Hannah also recognized this, naming her child Samuel. Samuel. Samuel means asked of God. Asked of God, 1 Samuel one twenty. So from all of this, the scriptures have to say about children being a gift, we learn that parents are what? To return their children to the one who gave them. To the one who gave them. We do this, not simply as the, the papists do by sending their children off to a nunnery, but as the children, or as the parents did in our passage before us, by bringing our children to Jesus Christ, that he might bless them. Christians, let us see this. Let us see this. The great attention which the church of Jesus Christ must give to children. To children. The great head of the church himself, Jesus Christ, made time to take special notice of children, didn't he? He took time to... Take special notice of children. We modern people like to slap the empty saying, I'm busy, I've been busy, I will be busy, upon our lives as an excuse for our many great failings in fulfilling our duties to our neighbor. But guess what? No one has ever been more, quote unquote, busy than Jesus, nor has anyone ever been busy with greater work than Jesus. Yet, he made time for all who would come unto him. The lame, the sinful, the shame-ridden, the sick, the prostitute, the leper, and especially he made time for children. For children. The church, in imitating Christ, should always give careful attention to her ministry of children. We often get a wrong picture of this passage, and people have used This wrong picture, I think, to propagate whatever doctrine they hold to. We picture mothers with strollers or a bag of some kind bringing infants to Christ. And no doubt there were mothers bringing infants to Christ here. But there's nothing in the text that would lead us to believe that it was only women bringing little tiny babies to Jesus. And by young children, that word does not simply mean infants and toddlers. It means any child from birth to teenage years. That's what that word is used for. And obviously, the duty also doesn't then end when our children turn 13, but is extended as a duty for us to bring our children to Christ throughout all the days of their earthly life. Therefore, it is incumbent, dear congregation, upon parents that they bring their children to Jesus. They bring their children to Jesus. Well then, how is it to be done? How do we bring our children to Jesus? To Jesus. We do this first by our diligent prayers for our children. Our diligent prayers for our children. We must recognize that our children need Jesus. Our children need Jesus. That they, by their coming forth from our loins, are therefore born dead in sin and in need of regeneration in need of being born again a second time, spiritually, truly, one might say. Regardless of the quality of their upbringing, or of their moral attainments, how much classical education they've received, how much Latin they know, how well they do playing with other children, in spite of all of this, regardless of those things, without Christ, our children shall perish eternally in hell, and are in fact dead while they live, John 336 Mm -hmm. once we have acknowledged the great need of Jesus once we've acknowledged the great need of Jesus we must then therefore present our children to Jesus a lot of people think because they raise their children in the church they're good to go they don't really need Jesus as much as those other children of those other parents no they need Jesus And once we realize and come to terms with the fact that our children are in need of Christ, we must bring them to Christ. And this is not simply presenting the gospel to them when we have arbitrarily determined that they have attained an age where they are intellectually capable of understanding the gospel. Rather, bringing our children to Jesus is a surrendering of our children to Christ continually, day by day, Realizing our total dependence upon God to impart to our children the very spiritual life that we desire for them. For God, we are totally dependent upon Him to give the saving benefits which Christ purchased by His death to our children. That's why we must pray for them. Bring them to Jesus in prayer. And no matter how old they are, no matter how old they are, not only when they are young, But when they're in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, as long as we live and they live, we should be bringing our children to Jesus. We can do many things for our children, dear congregation, many things. But we cannot make them regenerate. We cannot cause them to be born again. We cannot make them saved. Simeon Ash, the Puritan, said this, Parents can only work knowledge... God must work grace. Mm. Therefore, we must present our children to God, back to Him. We must present the children that God has given us back to Him daily in prayer, asking for His powerful, gracious working in their lives, that as He has given them to us as earthly children, He might then give them to His Son, Jesus Christ, as heavenly children. Mm. Amen. Secondly, coupled with our prayers, we bring children, our children to Jesus through what? Instruction. Through instruction. As members of Christ's church, children of Christian parents must be taught the ways of God. They must be taught the ways of God. Dear Christians, this is not simply good advice. This is not recommendation from Jesus. No. It is the clear commandment to us From our covenant Lord, our God and our Savior. Jehovah himself commands us to teach our children his word diligently, he says. Diligently. To the Christian, God commands this. Talk of them, that is the word of God, the commands of God, the ways of God. When thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. The apostle Paul commands Parents, specifically fathers, to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And he tells the children in response to obey their parents in the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 1 and 4. Now, this is not only done by daily family worship, daily family devotions, this instruction that we are to do. Rather, it must be a holistic instruction, dear congregation, a comprehensive life pattern, if you will, of instruction, That we give our children all the time, dear congregation. Specific time for family worship, for family devotions. Instruction out of God's word in specific times and settings. Catechism. Those are no doubt essential for us to do with our children. But these specific times must then therefore define, inform, and govern all of our daily life with our children. So that we are always looking for opportunities... Throughout the day, to speak to our children about spiritual things. Our minds must be set on things above, not on things on earth. We must train our children also to think of things above. To set their minds, their affections on things above, not on things on earth. To look higher where their Lord is seated. seated At the right hand of God. They must be taught this. Not simply once a day, twice a day, but throughout the day is what Jehovah tells us. We must bring our children to Jesus in prayer throughout the day, but also we must bring them to the Lord Jesus throughout the day by constant instruction. When we rise up, when we walk by the way, when we go to the store, when we sit down to eat, when we are playing with them on the floor in the living room, when we sit down to eat, when we teach them how to drive, when we give them advice for courtship and marriage, All times, all times are times for Christian instruction, dear congregation. For parents to instruct their children in the Lord. Children, we know, are impressionable. They're impressionable. And as one Puritan said, they're like soft wax. And it's common sense that you should impress the seal into the wax when it's soft. They are, as Matthew Henry said, a tabula rosa. A blank slate which we must write God's word upon. A blank slate, a blank page of paper that we should be writing God's word upon daily as we walk by the way, as we rise up, as we sit down, as we eat, as we rejoice, as we mourn and sorrow over life's difficulties. It should not be strange to our children, dear congregation. This is key. It must not be strange to our children when they hear us speak about spiritual things. Our children should not think, how odd. Mom and dad usually only talk about God at family worship or at church. Very strange indeed. Rather, hearing us speak about Jesus Christ, his precious gospel, about the commandments of the Lord, what he requires of us, the sweetness of worshiping God, the delight of loving him who first loved us, should be commonplace, not the exception. Not strange, but normative. Dear Christians, make it a habit, a lifestyle, for your children to receive instruction from God's word. Not only once a day, but all the day long. Remember King Solomon's instruction in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Children are trained by repetition. Which is why we need constant instruction. We need to give them constant instruction. They're taught by repetition, line upon line, precept upon precept. Repeating the truths we give them from God's word until it becomes impossible for them to forget it. You know why? Because they're not that much different than us. A common saying among farmers used to be this. Put three seeds in each hole you dig. One for the worm... One for the bird, and one to live and produce the crop. So too, in training children in the way they should go, let us, as Charles Spurgeon said, give the lesson once, expecting the child's memory to lose it. Twice, in case the devil, that infernal bird, steals it away. And thrice, hoping that it will take root downward and bring forth fruit upward to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Third, we bring our children to Jesus by our pattern, our lifestyle, how we live in front of them. How we live out our faith will instruct them as much, if not more, than our words. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, reminded us that children are fathers in the second edition. They're second editions of their fathers. If the parents' Bibles gather dust, so will the child's. If the father never asks for forgiveness, nor will the child. If the mother never prays, why would the daughter If the parents do not go rejoicing on the Lord's Day, should we expect the countenance of the children to be bright on the Lord's Day? Dear Pastor, one might say, this sermon has been interesting, no doubt. I'm being optimistic. But I do not have children. Very little of this applies to me. I respond, dear believer, nothing could be more relevant to you. The church must care for her children. Both those that she has and those that she shall be given. Both those that she has and those that she shall be given. Most of us here are married. And even most of those who are not pray that they shall be so one day. Do we not long that we shall fulfill one of the primary purposes of marriage? Namely, the rearing of children to be fruitful and multiply. You may not have children now. Your congregation. But, Lord willing, you shall one day. Mm-hmm. Dear believer, you may not have children now, but, Lord willing, one day you shall. Mm-hmm. Therefore, pray for your children now. The ones you don't have. Saying, Father God, if thou shouldest be pleased to give us children, may they be thine, both by creation and adoption. Grant them long lives of godliness, blessing, and safety. Give them faith. And repentance at a young age. Let them serve thee from the heart all the days of their lives. As the Puritan John Flavel said, What a mercy it was to us to have parents that prayed for us before they had us, as well as in our infancy when we could not pray for ourselves. You may not have children now, but you can also begin preparing to instruct those that the Lord might one day give you. How do you do that? Give yourself, give yourself to the study of God's word. To the study of good, godly, helpful, practical books on parenting. You may not have children now, but Lord willing, one day you shall have to walk before them as a pattern of what a Christian is. Discipline yourself now then unto godliness a love for the means of grace and a gracious disposition from which you engage all of your duties in life. Take your faith seriously now and you shall stand worthy of imitation then. Dear congregation, bring your children to Jesus just like the parents in this passage. Wherever they are, it's always good to remember this. Wherever our children are, If they're far away, if they're near to us, our prayers can always reach them. Our prayers can always reach them. Few things teach us our inability and need of God more than having children as human beings. Do not waste this. Go to God humbly, boldly, dependently, and constantly for yourself and for your children. Our second point, deterring children from Christ. Sad, sad words we read. Parents bring their children to Christ and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. If we read it too quickly, we are apt to miss what's happening here. Mm. It was not the Pharisees, it was not the scribes, not the wicked, Gentile, Roman overlords that hindered the children from being brought to Christ. Rather, It was Christ's own disciples that hindered the children from being brought to Christ. Christians stopped the children from coming to Jesus. As Christians, we often look around at the world. We see the danger that lies out there for our children. And we're not wrong in seeing it. And I wish more professing Christians saw it. We see the danger. We blame society for corrupting our youth. And again, we are correct. We point to the public school system and see a pit of vipers, and we are wrong, but only in one sense, that it deserves a much harsher language than English can afford us, the public school system. But we forget that it is often Christians that hinder children from coming to Jesus. Christians. Here were the disciples of Christ, who in chapter 9 had just witnessed Christ take a child in his arms as a visual, visual aid to admonish them. To admonish them. To correct them. Parents now are bringing their children to Christ. And the disciples think it's a good idea, the right thing to do, to rebuke them. To rebuke them. To stop them from bringing their children. They must put a stop to this parade of parents bringing their children to Christ. Well, why? Why? Why, why do they think this? Why is this in their head? Their ignorant and evil actions were in keeping with the times, dear congregation. We have to understand this. In those days, it was considered unworthy and undignified for a rabbi to give his valuable time or attention to children. So the disciples are rebuking the parents as if to say, Hey, hey, don't bother our master. He is an important rabbi, a prophet even. A prophet even, maybe. His ministry is on such a high level that only adults can profit from it. Only adults. He has many sick people who need healing. Many demons to cast out. He is here to establish the kingdom of God. He does not have time to bless healthy children with so many sick people all around him. Dying people all around him. We must give him maximum opportunity to help others who are in greater need. Maybe another time, dear parents. But, as at other times, many times, how wrong they were, how misguided, how ignorant, how much harm they were doing out of their ignorance and out of their misunderstanding. We must consider the ways that we, also, as disciples of Christ, even as Reformed, Reformed believers who profess the great value of children, we must examine and think about the ways that we keep them from Jesus. That we keep children from Jesus? Today, we see much harm being done to children by the church. Viewed charitably, it's out of ignorance and misunderstanding. A couple of years ago, some of you might remember this, a video went viral of a church service where a mother was sitting in the seat with her baby. And the baby, as babies always do became fussy was making noise was crying so the mother got up with her baby was attempting to make her way to the aisle so she could walk out of the sanctuary into the lobby to calm her baby down before coming back in like one does as a good parent in a church service when you cannot get the baby to calm down or the child to calm down but as she's making her way to the aisle in the video From the stage, this church didn't have a pulpit, it just had a stage, the pastor stopped his sermon and asked that she please remove herself to calm the baby down because he found it distracting. And he said that, if, well, if I find it distracting, I'm sure there's many people in this audience that would find it distracting as well. We love you, we love love having children, but there's a place for the children to go. He took the opportunity to remind his congregation, to remind the church, in the live stream, that there was a place for the children to go. They could be put there safely away. There's many such examples. I've been at churches as well Mm. where there's, so the pastor doesn't have to engage in such dirty work. There's people that will go around and and ask uh, women and families to please remove themselves and we've got a place for your child to be placed. She was humiliated and deeply hurt. Many Christians upon seeing this video, were outraged like I was. But there was many others that defended the action, saying things like, well, the sermon is an important time for us as Christians in the church, and it's very distracting to hear children crying and talking. It's much too important of a time to allow children to come in and cause distraction. The pastor doesn't have time to deal with that. He has to minister to the adults who have large enough brains to understand the sermon. I think what these Christians failed to recognize was that their own brains must not have been large enough to read the Bible. Or something was wrong with their poor eyes that they were hindered from being able to make out the letters on the page. These, ch- these Christians failed to realize that if their pastor can't preach with children present without becoming distracted, then he needs to learn how to preach before he's brought back up on the stage and the spotlight is put on him again. They, feel, they failed to realize that if they were distracted by the coos, the cries, and the chatter of children, then what they needed was not the children to be removed, but they needed to develop not just bigger but better brains, bigger attention spans, and more love for Christ would probably help. Jesus never stopped his sermons, dear congregation, to ask that children not distract him. But he did stop his sermons to pray for, instruct, and bless children. Or he incorporated them right into the sermon. The practice of segregating the congregation into age groups and only permitting the adults to worship Jesus keeps children from Jesus. As Christians, we forbid children. Another way we forbid children from coming to Jesus is when we fail to instruct them in the scriptures. We saw that that's one way that we do bring them to Jesus. Now we're seeing that the failure to do so is to keep them from Jesus. As we read earlier, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now there's many professing Christians who strangely send their children to state-run public schools. In this action, with their lips, they honor Christ. In their actions, they deny Him. They deny Jesus by their actions. There's no debate at this point. Maybe, maybe years ago, maybe years ago, we could debate about public school and Christianity, but there's no debate now. We will not tolerate it. We will not entertain it. To send children to public school rather than to a private Christian school or joining a homeschool cohort is not only unchristian, it is child abuse. It is child abuse. And we don't accept child abuse in the church, dear congregation. If we give them to Caesar, they shall be servants of Caesar, not of God. No one should be surprised that their children act like Satan when they're given to him for training. Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs said this, There is little hope for children who are educated wickedly. If the wool is dyed, it is hard to get it out of the cloth. Atheism, wickedness, is natural to human beings born in a fallen, sinful state. Therefore, when we send them to a place that teaches them wickedness, atheism, that tends to take much more easily than does instruction and godliness. Yet, dear congregation, that being said, simply keeping our children from the wicked instruction of public school is not enough. It's not that you keep your children from public school and then you've done your duty. Many Christians who rightly condemn the evils of public education, what it has become, still deter their children from coming to Jesus. How? How? Well, they might send them to sound Christian schools, sound biblical Christian homeschool cohorts, but they rarely directly train them through instruction and example at home. They do not practice family worship. They do not talk with their children about God throughout the day. They do not live as examples before them of godliness. Their children would think it's strange, odd, to see their mother bowed in prayer, to see their father at the kitchen table sitting with an open Bible, his lips quietly moving. O Lord, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yea, sweeter than much honey. They would think that is strange. On the Lord's day, their children see no joy, no earnestness, no seriousness. Mom and dad never ask one another, nor their children for forgiveness. Experiential religion is the exception, not the rule. So the children might attend a solid, sound school or get sound, solid Christian education at home or in a cohort. But as Richard Greenham, the Puritan, pointed out, all of that is undone. All of it is undone by profaneness, carelessness, and ungodliness at home. Some may think I've been too harsh here, but let us remember that when the disciples forbid children from being brought, Jesus was much displeased. Much displeased. Now that might not sound that intense to us, and you don't have to go back to the Greek to see if it's more intense than the Greek. All you have to do is remember that this is Jesus, the eternal Son of God we're talking about. Mm. When a father, a respected person in our life is much displeased with something, we, we understand that that's an issue, right? When the Lord Jesus Christ is most much displeased with something, that should rock us to our core. We also should be much displeased. Christians, as an encouragement, dear congregation, let us remember those of us that are parents, we have failed. Those of you that will one day be parents. You shall fail as parents. But remember that God forgives our parental sins as much as he does our other sins. As much as he does our other sins. Let us therefore labor through prayer, through instruction, through example, to ensure that God also forgives our children of their sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. God is gracious to forgive our children just as well as he is us, but we must bring them to Jesus. In his displeasure, Jesus says to his disciples, Suffer the little children, that means allow the little children to come unto me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And skipping a verse, and he took them up in his arms, that means he embraced them. Put his hands upon them and blessed them. Again, not just infants. 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds. The parents brought their children to Jesus in faith. And they received what their faith sought. There was a time when the child, Jesus, was taken up in the arms of old Simeon in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And Simeon rejoiced to hold the babe Jesus in his arms. And now Jesus takes up these children in his arms. The prophecy is fulfilled. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. Isaiah 40, verse 11. As Calvin points out, Jesus did not pray and bless into the air. It was meaningless. His blessing was effectual and sure. His touch was not meaningless. He put his hands upon them, which always denotes in Scripture the bestowing of his spirit upon them. For that is the hand of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord and his setting apart of them for himself. As Christians, we have great assurance, dear congregation, that although we cannot do anything in and of ourselves, we must do all that we can, instruct, teach, pray for, but although we cannot do anything in and of ourselves to ensure our children's salvation, yet we can bring them to the one who can save them, who can deliver them, who can regenerate them. Matthew Henry writes, quote, If we, in a right manner, bring our children to Christ, he will take them up, not only in the arms of his power and his providence, but in the arms of his pity and grace, underneath his everlasting arm. That is the hope. We have great hope and consolation in bringing our children to Jesus. Let us only ensure that we do bring them. He, and he alone, can do the rest. Therefore, dear believers, we should ask ourselves, what am I doing to bring my children to Jesus? Regardless of their age, what am I doing to bring my children to Jesus? And what ways do I serve to forbid them from coming to Jesus rather than bringing them? How much time do I give to prayer for my children, to instructing them in his word? And what ways does my example actually deter them from coming to Jesus? What am I doing in in preparation to become a child bringer? Do I believe his grace for them as for me? Lastly, number three, coming to Christ as children. Coming to Christ as children. Let us not miss the last lesson in our passage in verse 15, where Jesus says, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. This phrase is found only in Mark's account of this. This situation is found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, but this phrase specifically is found only in Mark's account. What does it mean? What does it mean? How are we to receive the kingdom of God as little children? Well, we are to resemble them, to emulate them in how we receive Christ. We are to emulate and resemble children in in the way that we receive Christ. We are to resemble them not in their ignorance, not in their self-centeredness, not in their naivete, but in their capacity for unreserved, wholehearted, unwavering faith in the people that they love and trust. You look at a child, that's what you see. That's why when children are abused and neglected, it is so destructive to them. Because they have unreserved, wholehearted trust in those that they're supposed to trust, those that they love, those that are given the care over them. That is, we must be as affected by Christ and his grace as little children are by their parents, by those in authority over them, by their instructors, those who care for them. Little children ask their parents questions. Why? And they seem to hit an age where all they do is ask questions. Why is this? Because they recognize and they are aware of their own lack of knowledge and believe that their parents have the answer. Children rely on their parents to have all the answers, to have all the solutions, no matter how old they get. They do not worry about the bills being paid, food being in the fridge, or the car arriving safely at its destination. They are trusting, they are dependent, they are faithful. So should we be toward God. We must be inquisitive as children, and we must learn as children. Children are subservient, and so must we be. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Should be our prayer. That is a childlike prayer. We must receive the kingdom of God, just as the prophet Samuel received the word of God, where he said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. He prayed this when he was a small child. Little children depend upon their parents' wisdom and care. They are carried about in their arms. They go where they are sent. And they take what is provided for them. So too, dear Christians, we must receive the kingdom of God in the same manner. With a humble resignation of ourselves to Jesus Christ. In dependence upon him. For strength. For righteousness. For training. For provision. And portion. Even in your 90s, you must be dependent as a child upon your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying this, Unless you learn to trust me in childlike simplicity, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So do we depend upon Jesus? Do we trust his promises? Do we look to him for instruction, for provision, and protection, just like children do their parents? Do we depend upon him? And do we delight in being dependent upon him? Dear congregation, as Christians, we have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have been born again as little children. We have been adopted in Christ as children. What then is our duty in living as God's children through Jesus Christ? The Apostle Peter gives us an answer in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. Wherefore, he says, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow hereby. If so, be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, when we come to Christ as children, stumbling, selfish and sinful, no doubt, like any child is, we must also come dutifully, humble, dependent, and trusting to our God. We cast off all that displeases our loving Father, that dishonors our Savior, and we long to be fed with His Word, to walk in His ways and live unto His glory out of gratitude. In closing, as Christian parents, this doesn't just look like coming to Jesus ourselves but also bringing our children with us to Christ. Dear congregation, our precious Savior Jesus Christ is willing that we should come to him. He is tender, patient, and gracious towards us as his own children. We have assurance of our own salvation in coming to him. And we have the greatest hope of the salvation of our children in bringing them to him. We don't have a promise that if we bring our children to Christ in prayer and in instruction, that they will be Christian, they will be saved, they will be regenerate. But we do have the greatest hope that it should be that. Let us never draw back, therefore, from him, dear Christians. Rather, let us come to Jesus and bring our children to Jesus. Even those that the Lord has not yet given us. He is mighty to save. And he shows mercy unto a thousand generations. Let us make our calling an election sure. Choosing the best portion at Christ's feet. Taken up, up, taken up in his arms as little children. Held in his bosom. Let us pray and thank the Lord to prepare ourselves to partake in the Lord's Supper. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we once again before Thee. We come to Thee as Thy children. We come to Thee as Thy adopted children in Christ Jesus. We come to Thee needy, dependent, and faith, asking that our faith would be increased. Lord, we pray for our children. We ask, O oh God, they would be brought to faith in Thy Son, Jesus Christ, at a young age. We pray for our adult children. We pray for those that are walking in thy ways. Ask thou would strengthen them, O God. We pray. That if thou should be gracious. Shouldst be gracious to give us more children in the future. That they also would come to faith in Jesus Christ at a young age. That we would be equipped as Christian parents. As Christian church members to care. For the church's children, the children thou hast given to thy people. Lord, help us ourselves to recognize our childlike dependence upon thee more and more. To reject any self-assurance, self-strength, self-help, but to cast ourselves completely into thy hands, Mm -hmm. trusting in thee, our Father, to take care for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.